friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Dear JCPS is a district-focused stakeholder advocacy group that demands accountability and transparency from JCPS through a lens of equity. Save Our Schools Kentucky is a statewide advocacy group that seeks to expose and prevent attempts to privatize our public schools, including charter schools and everything else from the ALEC playbook. Hello and welcome to the July 15, 2021 episode of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I'm your host, Gay Adelman. On today's program, we're going to play for you excerpts from the July 6th Joint Education Committee hearing that took place in Frankfurt. This committee is made up of House representatives and senators from across the state who serve on education committees for both chambers. The meeting itself lasted for more than two and a half hours, so I have edited down the presentations of Kentucky Education Commissioner Dr. Stephen Glass, as well as JCPS Superintendent Dr. Marty Polio, as well as the questions that were asked by the committee members. To watch the hearing in its entirety, please go to KET and click on the archives for the legislative updates. Um, We have a limited agenda today. I made a conscious decision to limit the topics um, to cover um, so we could have a full conversation regarding critical race theory. Since the theory, even though it's 40 years old, has resurfaced at the federal level, uh, I have been inundated with emails and contacts across the Commonwealth with concerns regarding this theory being taught in the public schools. With the discussions and the plan for the theory out of Washington, um, when it first started, it really got people concerned, and people are paying attention now. So I hope the presentations we have today will clearly define CRT and add some clarification with KDE's perspective, um, a public school perspective, as well as a legislative plan to address the issue. First, we're going to welcome um, Commissioner Glass. Thanks, Madam Chair, members of the committee. I want to begin by stating that the Kentucky Department of Education and I are not the legal defense team for critical race theory or CRT, and that if the legislature wants to have an in-depth briefing on CRT, then I'd suggest uh, that we, we support you in finding a legal or academic scholar who has studied and uses the concept in some depth. While we have an understanding and familiarity with CRT and have worked to expand that knowledge on the theory in preparation for this meeting, we're not experts or users. So my goals for with you today will be to provide a brief overview of CRT, advise you of its use or rather lack thereof in Kentucky's public schools, to brief you on the department's ongoing work around equity, which I'll note is different than CRT, to discuss the pre-filed bills related to CRT, their potential impact on teaching and learning in the state, and, and finally to offer an alternative for consideration as the legislature considers this matter. That is a lot to cover in about 13 minutes, so I'll do my best to move quickly. As you mentioned, Madam Chair, critical race theory is a decades-old legal and academic theory which seeks to explain why racism continues to exist. The theory is intended to provide a framework for study of the potential causes and effects of racism in society and how they might be mitigated. It's typically a graduate-level academic theory or a concept taught in law school. The discussion of some concepts related to CRT might appear in a high school elective level course 
that considers the historical, political, and sociological aspects of racism and events. However, its developmental appropriateness for high school students would be narrow, and it likely would not be appropriate, uh, an appropriate concept for students at the middle or uh, elementary school levels. In terms of the intersection of CRT and Kentucky's public schools, as you know, curricular decisions are left to school-based decision-making councils in Kentucky, and that's a long-standing tradition in the state. At this time, the Kentucky Department of Education is not aware of any districts or teachers specifically teaching critical race theory, and neither CRT or terms associated with it appear in our state standards. I'd like to shift now to KDE's equity work. And to be clear, equity and CRT are not the same thing. Equity in education is fundamentally an effort to ensure that all of our students have the supports that they need to meet our academic standards and reach their full potential as citizens, students, and human beings. And equity focus in education recognizes that public school students come to us with all sorts of different backgrounds, needs, different supports that are necessary and experiences, and that we have to take those into account when we consider the education for each child. When we provide students with disabilities what they need to participate in school and to access the curriculum, that's equity. When we make sure our students are not hungry at school by providing them with free reduced price meals, that's equity. We make sure that our students who are learning English are provided the supports they needed, they need to learn the language and to continue learning in other subjects, that's equity. And when we make sure that our poorest and most rural parts of the state have access to high quality and a representative teacher workforce, that's equity. We make sure that students who have different levels of support at home can participate in events and trips and sports and extracurricular activities, regardless of their backgrounds, that's equity. And we make sure that none of our students are taught under the soft bigotry of low expectations that President George W. Bush talked about. That also is equity. So given the misinformation that we know is present when it comes to critical race theory and equity, I just want to establish a bright line and to say that these are not the same thing. Our efforts to promote equity in Kentucky schools are essential if we're to realize our aspirations of providing a meaningful and quality educational experience for every child. KDE's work on equity involves the development of an optional equity toolkit for schools and districts to use, and that toolkit will include an equity dashboard where differences in outcomes across several different stu uh, student subgroups can be analyzed. It also includes an equity playbook with five strategic moves a school or district can enact that might include uh, making sure that students all have access to a high quality instructional resources, evidence-based instructional practices, high quality teachers, considerations around the equitable allocation of resources and how to eliminate disproportionality when it comes to things like access to high level coursework and how student discipline is delivered. Our efforts at promoting equity in Kentucky's schools also include efforts to increase and retain greater numbers of minority educators as part of a larger pipeline effort called Go Teach KY. And we're also developing optional training modules for Kentucky teachers, educators related to their expectations for students and how we must hold them all to high standards with the belief that every child is capable of learning and success. I'll turn now to the pre-filed bills related to CRT and provide my perspective for you on them. At their core, BR60 and BR69 
are educator gag and student censorship bills that seek to define what can, can and cannot be taught, discussed, either formally or informally in Kentucky schools on a number of concepts related to race and sometimes other controversial matters. Notably, these censorship bills circumvent the decisions of school-based councils, which have long been entrusted to make curricular decisions in Kentucky schools in keeping with our tradition of local control. And they replace our local decision-making process with a mandate from the state legislature. One of the tests for what's offensive in these bills is not based on facts, but on feelings of quote, discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of race, sex, or religion. Such a standard will be nearly impossible to enforce and may create significant constitutional challenges that Kentucky will have to defend. The Constitution guarantees freedom of speech and allows people in the United States to express their views, regardless of what feelings of discomfort it may cause in others. It'll be difficult for us to have any meaningful discussion of history if all concepts have to be vetted on whether or not they create uncomfortable feeling, an uncomfortable feeling in some individual or group. BR 69 also extends this censorship to institutions of higher education, which presents another set of problems. Academic free speech on university campuses is well established and protected under previous Supreme Court rulings. And bans on teaching or discussion in both of these bills would put the accreditation of Kentucky's public colleges and universities at risk. In addition to the potential loss of accreditation, law students graduating from Kentucky's public law schools would be unprepared if they encountered elements related to critical race theory in court and graduate students in fields such as sociology or political science would find themselves unfamiliar with the concepts as they began their professional careers. And this highlights one of the problems with all censorship elements or efforts. The ideas are already out there, they're out in the open. So if these laws were to pass, limiting discussions about them only keeps Kentucky students and in a few other states where these laws have passed, ignorant about the concepts. And notably, neither of the pre-filed bills extends to private schools or private colleges, only public. And this is relevant as the legislature has now effectively extended public funds to K-12 private schools through the tax credit system that passed last session. So Students in private schools supported by tax credits would be allowed to learn about and discuss critical race theory or other concepts related to it, while these same concepts in public schools would be banned. K-12 public educators have found that are found to have violated some element of these bills can find themselves subject to dismissal, loss of licensure, or fines for their districts, yet no such penalties exist for higher education or private institutions. This represents yet another specific attack on Kentucky's public educators. Across this summer, our schools are struggling to find teachers in all of our fields. And we have educators who are leaving while we struggle to recruit new teachers into the profession. So I'd urge the legislature to consider how their actions may have contributed to those shortages and how this threat to Kentucky's public educators will be perceived and what impact it might have. In order to enact these proposed laws, the legislature must be prepared to violate longstanding traditions when it comes to local decision-making on curriculum in Kentucky. You also have to be prepared to violate American values when it comes to the importance of the free exchange of ideas and speech. 
These bills are part of a growing international class of policies called memory laws, which according to Yale history professor Tim Snyder are, quote, governmental actions designed to guide public interpretation of the past. Such measures work by mandatory, uh, mandating a mandatory view of historical events, by forbidding discussion of historical facts or interpretation, or by providing vague guidelines that lead to self-censorship. Memory laws like these are increasingly the tools of some of the most authoritarian regimes in the world. The fact that the Kentucky legislature is now considering them and has called this special meeting on them should cause us all to pause and consider our next move carefully and how history will judge all of us. I, I do recognize that there's a lot of, a, a great deal of interest on this topic right now and that our legislators are getting pressure and correspondence about it. So I understand there's some level of urgency to take action. But instead of the two pre-filed bills, I'd like to offer the legislature another viewpoint on this and an alternative path forward for how it might be addressed. One of the most important goals in educating our citizens, our students, is for them to ultimately be able to discern for themselves truth and to make decisions about what's right and the best path forward. And this is important to them both as individuals and it's important to the continuation of our democratic republic. The way we go about uncovering truth and making, the, making decisions is through open dialogue, deliberation, reflection, and the application of critical thinking, where we interrogate different concepts and ideas. We weigh their merit against other concepts and ideas, and then we make determinations that are based on the evidence. The meeting that we're holding here today is an example of an open and honest exchange. Here, you're seeking to learn more about the concept of CRT, consider your options, and ultimately make a decision about the best path forward for our state through an evaluation of the facts and hearing multiple perspectives. That's the way of democracy. Conversely, a pursuit of truth and wisdom is not well served by silencing opposing viewpoints or perspectives. That is the path of tyranny. As an alternative for your consideration, rather than banning CRT or some list of related subjects and concepts, instead consider enacting a statute that forces those conversations, if they indeed take place to have balanced perspectives, require any classroom discussions or less lessons on these issues to also share the critiques and criticisms of CRT that have been offered and to facilitate students in making their own informed decisions related to CRT and the counter ideas to it. Through statute, you can force any conversations on CRT should they take place to occur in an informed free market of ideas. This alternative approach still allows local school-based councils to make curricular decisions for their schools. And if, school, if a school-based council decides to have some class that covers some aspect of CRT, then they'd also have to provide balanced perspectives and opposing viewpoints. This alternative approach also doesn't put this legislative body in the business of banning or censoring ideas, free speech, or limiting the free exchange of ideas in the classroom. So Madam Chair, members of the committee, I offer as an idea, this alternative policy approach for your consideration that does not violate our Kentucky values around local control, it doesn't effectively censor classroom discussions. It doesn't threaten public educators. 
offer an approach which values and embrace, it embraces American values of tolerance of different points of views and perspectives and our values around free speech and the importance of the free exchange of ideas that's essential to our republic. The current pre-filed bills related to CRT that are under consideration are patterned after legislation that we've already seen uh, enacted in other states. I urge Kentucky's legislators not to follow in those authoritarian footsteps and adopt this troubling legislation, but instead to adopt a different and a better approach, and one that's in keeping with our values as Kentuckians and Americans and does not debase those values. Thank you very much, Madam Chair, for your time and attention. I look forward to the dialogue and the discussion. Thank you. And I, I want to thank you for joining us today, particularly since you're on your vacation. We appreciate your um, joining us virtually and your testimony. I, first of all, I want to ask you a question. As you know, the Biden administration conversations is what started individual states looking into this issue. And it's my understanding that the U.S. Department of Education is discussing offering grants uh, to encourage schools to incorporate the theory. Uh, would KDE uh, accept or refuse those grants? Should those be offered? I'm not uh, familiar with the grant proposals. I think we'd want to see what was in them. As I mentioned before, we are not interested in advancing uh, critical race theory, and we don't make curricular decisions for schools. Um, we would be interested in, in supports around the equity work that I talked about earlier. Okay, so you uh, just depends on the wording, and you know, often things are tied to funding from the federal level. So I just wanted to get your perspective on that. Thank you. Uh, we do have some questions, uh, Representative Tipton. Thank you, Madam Chair, Commissioner Glass. I appreciate you uh, offering your thoughts today. I think we all recognize this is a very sensitive issue uh, that has come out, as the, as the chair, uh, our chairman has has mentioned from the federal level. Uh, it has become a polarizing issue, and I think it's important for us to have open, honest conversations about these. I think there are some misconceptions. I believe your testimony clarified that. Uh, there seems to be, uh, and maybe you could elaborate a little bit about the difference between standards and curriculum and who establishes standards and who, who establishes curriculum, and I believe I'm correct that KDE nor local school boards have any input on the curriculum in each individual school. And what, as a, as a, as a, as a uh, follow-up to that, what options to, what kind of transparency is there out there for parents and other uh, individuals to know what's being taught in the school? Is there transparency? Uh, and can, what, can we offer more transparency for the public to know what's actually being taught in the curriculum? Thank you, Mr. Commissioner. Thank you, Representative Tipton. Well, I think your question framed up the structure quite well of how uh, standards and curricular decisions are, are made in Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky has a set of academic standards. Uh, the process around the development of those is actually in statute. Uh, so the statute directs the state board uh, after um, input from the uh, local superintendent's advisory council to establish a process for developing standards. We use Kentucky teachers to establish those with supports from um, curricular uh, content experts at the higher education level. We benchmark those standards against 
uh, international systems and against other states to make sure that our standards are uh, rigorous and challenging and, and on par with high performing uh, systems. Uh, but standards really are just high level concepts. Um, and when we, when we think about a whole system of curriculum, the standards are the very highest level, but a system of curriculum also would include a scope and sequence. So what is going to be taught in what order and when is it developmentally appropriate? Uh, it would include um, lessons uh, or experiences that, student, that students have that teachers create. It would include resources that uh, teachers would bring in or students may bring in uh, that the class would uh, review and, and react to and, and think about. It would include tasks, so things that you assign students to do. It would include assessments um, and, and then the feedback systems that are associated with it. So when it comes to uh, KDE's involvement, we're really only at the standards level. Uh, and then in Kentucky, all of those decisions around uh, curricular elements uh, that, that get into an individual classroom happen at the, at the school-based council level. And so each school has a school-based uh, decision-making council uh, that's made up of um, parents and teachers um, that are at the school. Those meetings are published and open to uh, the public. Uh, notes and minutes are kept uh, for those meetings and are available and ultimately the site-based decision-making councils uh, since uh, 1990 have been the entity in the state that's made decisions around curriculum in Kentucky. Representative Rayburn. Yes, uh, Commissioner, thank you for coming before the committee and speaking. I do have a couple of questions. Um, you know, the Courier-Journal had noted, you know, that JCPS intentionally scrubbed any mention of CRT um, you know, just a few months ago. Um, and I'd like to note also that there was a note in the document that said, any mention of critical race theory was removed as it became increasingly controversial in political debates held around the nation. Can you talk about why that uh, critical race theory language was removed from that curriculum and uh, kind of reassure parents, you know, that critical race theory is not being taught and nor is diversity equity uh, initiative being taught within Jefferson County Public Schools. Well, we have uh, Dr. Polio on a little later who may be able to answer specific questions around um, what's happening in, in Jefferson County Public Schools. Uh, so I'll, I'll uh, reserve those responses uh, for him. Uh, I. I am, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not aware of uh, critical race theory specifically being taught in Kentucky public schools. There certainly are efforts around uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity that are taking place, but uh, I would draw a distinction between the elements of critical race theory and, and, and elements related to diversity, inclusion, and equity. You had noted just a bit ago that, or can you give us some clarity on and define what an alternative viewpoint to CRT is? Sure. Uh, well, I, I think there have been a number of um, uh, conservative uh, pundits and scholars and individuals across the country as uh, information, knowledge, awareness of critical race theory has uh, taken off that have uh, written copiously about their criticisms of the of the framework uh, and, and its uh, elements. Um, and so I think that when I talked about requiring that any discussions about CRT also include those alternative points of view or opposing viewpoints, it would be um, a, a school um, or a district would um, uh, identify um, writings, uh, resources, scholarly uh, materials that are uh, critical of critical race theory, that critique critical race theory, and provide those as uh, along with the, um, the study of CRT uh, to create that balance. And so um, that 
that I think gets us to that um, free market of ideas, that free exchange of ideas that ultimately we want students to be able to sift through complex situations and be able to make up their own minds around the best path forward. Uh, so that's that's what I would be referring to. The, there's a body of knowledge that exists criticizing um, critical race theory, and that would be what we would rely on for those opposing viewpoints or what uh, site-based decision-making uh, councils and teachers would be relying on for those opposing viewpoints. Thank you, Representative Decker. Commissioner, thank you for coming today and speaking and sharing your views and your thoughtful uh, discussion of what the bill might become. I have a couple of questions. Um, first, our legal system in America is built around the concept of equality. Our founding documents forward talk about us all being equal under the law, born equal. The, the concept of equity is a bit different than that, quite different. So if our legal system, 14th Amendment, Civil Rights Acts of Kentucky and the United States, the, the uh, Constitution in general, both, both the state and the, and the national, if those concepts are in our legal system and forced there, how do you see that as different from equity? Where is equity enforced? How is equity enforced? And where is that in our founding principles? Thank you, Representative Decker, for the, the question. Uh, well, I think you may want to have an attorney to talk about the uh, legal aspects of um, equality versus equity in the, in the legal system. I can speak to it certainly from the educational perspective. Uh, the, the concept of equity in education is, is not new. Um, it, multiple decades going back as well, and I detailed several different examples of how equity operates in um, educational systems ranging from uh, different supports for students with disabilities uh, to uh, free reduced lunch programs uh, to ways that students that are learning English can access the curriculum to supports that we make sure that all kids have what they need to um, uh, to participate in extracurricular uh, events or, or field trips or uh, or other experiences so I think from an educational perspective, uh, equity is a tool you use on the way toward equality, but you have to recognize that our students come to us in schools with all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences. Some have great supports uh, at home and in their communities and others have less. Uh, and so we have to take proactive action in the education system to recognize uh, and address those uh, differences in students so that we can lift them all toward equality. I, I appreciated you saying that you don't know of this theory being taught. Um, I, I have received just stacks of, of evidence, um, testimony from parents, teachers, school board members, who say that they are receiving a lot of pressure to teach the, the, the theories of critical race. Um, you say that it's not encouraged, is it discouraged? And if you had specific instances of children being made as early as kindergarten to identify as an oppressor, what would your thought about that be? And would, the, would, you, would you as commissioner have any role to play there? Well, I, I think we need to evaluate those claims that have come in and uh, they all uh, warrant investigation and determination of is there merit to the claims. Uh, there does exist um, uh, at, at the federal level, um, the opportunity for parents who feel like their students are being um, uh, 
singled out or mistreated uh, on the basis of their race to file a claim and there's a, an investigation that takes place. So that already exists as an investigative support uh, for, for any parent who feels like their um, child is being targeted on the basis of their race. Uh, I'm not sure where the uh, pressure uh, would be coming from. Um, in, in terms of, um, of pushing districts to uh, teach it or uh, not teach it other than it's amplified in the um, uh, dialogue that's taking place politically in the country right now. Thank you. Representative Timoney. Commissioner Glass, I, I appreciate your, your input today. Um, look forward to working with you in the future on different projects. I do especially appreciate your comments on equity. And uh, just as a student who struggled, uh, I would say I was probably more of your more challenging students and members of this body probably can agree that I was not probably the easiest student to have in a classroom. However, I did, I, I did have some fortunate teachers that were able to provide services for me that outside of the regular school day to ensure that I got to the finish line approximately the same time as the rest of my, my classmates. So I think that's an important concept. Uh, I learned very early on that equity in school is, is very important to make sure all of our students reach the finish line approximately the same time, wherever that finish line may be. Um, and as a former teacher myself, I used to always try and come up with um, real world examples to help people understand concepts. And for equity, this is the one I lean on heavily because I've had a lot of constituents reach out to me about it. Um, if you go to the emergency room after a raucous 4th of July party and you may have had some difficulty with some fireworks and you had a hand injury and they hand you a Band-Aid or you're in a car wreck and they hand you a Band-Aid. If you have a heart attack and they hand you a Band-Aid, that's equality. Equity would be determining what you needed and provided it for you in order to make it to the finish line, which would be regain full health. We use it in many, many different areas. Like, for example, in Lexington. Sadly, there are disproportionately amount, different amounts of crime in parts of Lexington. If we used equality, we'd have the same amount of police support throughout the city. That's not how it works. Providing the resources for what people need or communities need, sometimes you have to venture into equity and provide the resources necessary. So that's why parts of Lexington receive more police coverage than others. That's... It, while it is not necessarily laid out in the Constitution, it definitely exists in society. And I think what we, we probably are all in agreement that in some facet of our lives, equity has played a part, and we wouldn't be where we were without it. So I appreciate your comments on that. Thank you. Thank you, Representative Timney. Thank you, and thank you, Dr. Glass. You are listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS on Forward Radio 106.5 FM, also on forwardradio.org. Thank you for supporting public radio. You may make a donation to Forward Radio at our website at forwardradio.org. We just heard the presentation from Dr. Jason Glass, Kentucky Education Commissioner, and now we will begin with information presented from JCBS Superintendent Dr. Marty Poli. We're going to pers- uh, proceed with our perspectives of critical race theory with uh, Dr. Marty Polio, the superintendent of Jefferson County Public Schools. Thank you, Dr. Great. Polio, for joining us today. If- Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share information on Kentucky's largest public school district. I'm Marty Polio, superintendent of Jefferson County Public Schools. 
I'm not an expert on critical race theory. So I think if this committee wants an, uh, an expert to come to really think about that again, to bring those that may know more about critical race theory um, than I do, and, and probably would encourage a more diverse panel as well. Uh, but that's maybe something the committee could think about. But what I will do is do what I did for you last September, which is provide you an overview of our work around racial equity to eliminate the achievement gap. And I wanna do that again today. Now, I think one of the unfortunate um, things that has happened recently, we started the conversation around critical race theory, which is a very narrow theory or philosophy. And unfortunately, that umbrella has now grown um, to include anything that is included around racial equity. And we are even hearing things like let's include trauma-informed care and other ways in which we support kids as a type of critical race theory. So I think we need to, as Dr. Glass said, really work here to separate out what is critical race theory and what is racial equity. And so once again, I'm not the one who can speak to critical race theory, but I can speak to the work of racial equity in JCPS and what we have done. And I wanna be clear about this. I've been a JCPS educator for nearly a quarter of a century now. So there's probably some that have done it longer than I have, uh, but I have served in positions from social studies teacher to basketball coach, to athletic director, assistant principal, principal at two large JCPS high schools, and now superintendent. And I can tell everyone on this committee that throughout my 24 year career, starting in JCPS in 1997, walking into Shawnee High School, one thing has been consistent in each and every one of those years. And I bet there's not a week that has gone by in my entire career where we haven't worked on how we're going to reduce or eliminate the achievement gap in this district and every district across America. The achievement gap has been center to the discussion around education in the United States for decades now. And unfortunately, we have not, JCPS, other districts in the Commonwealth and all across America have made very little movement, um, if even have possibly gone backwards over the past three to four decades with our achievement gap. And so I've sat around a table as well with fellow superintendents from the Council of the Great City Schools, which is the top 76 districts in America based on student enrollment. And I can tell you this, we have very differing districts all across America. But the one commonality that we all shared at this table is we're trying to find solutions to achievement gaps that exist between free and reduced lunch students and non-FRL students. We're working hard to eliminate the gap between special education and non-special education students. But table is focusing on the discrepancy in outcomes between black and white students. And we have been doing that for decades. And so after many decades with billions of dollars being spent on initiatives to eliminate the achievement gap between black and white students, along with billions of dollars, billions of dollars in increased accountability that were targeted at reducing the achievement gap all the way back from No Child Left Behind at the early part of my career to race to the top, to the privatization measures, the achievement gap still exists as it did when I first started in education in 1995. And I told you when I visited you last September, I hope you remember sitting, I was sitting at the table in front of you last September. 
And I told you the answer is not one program or one initiative. It's a comprehensive look at everything we do to ensure that black students and other students of color get the same opportunities th that white students get. And I really will use that word often today, which is opportunity. And that comprehensive look includes hiring practices, facilities, access to magnet programs, access to gifted and talented, student supports, and the curriculum that is the foundation of what students learn every single day in school. And an inclusive curriculum in a district where nearly 60% of our students identify as a student of color must be focused on student belonging. So, you know, I say this often, student belonging is central and key to my beliefs in education. Research clearly shows when a student feels a sense of belonging at their school, then there's much more likely that they will be successful. There is a large bank of research to show that. So we work intensely on increasing student belonging and that being a key to student success. And so a part of student belonging is the students seeing themselves in the curriculum as well. And that's what we have not done in this country for many, many years. And so the last time I came before this committee was in last September. And to be exact, I wanna be clear, it was September 15th, 2020, uh, this committee invited me to come share the work of racial equity in JCPS. And that's exactly what I did. And we shared it on how and focusing on student outcomes, how we're gonna eliminate the achievement gap in JCPS. At that meeting on September 15th, I shared with you the details of a racial equity policy and plan. I spoke at that time of our inclusive curriculum and having to do different uh, things differently in the classroom if we wanted to achieve different outcomes for students. Obviously, this is necessary when nearly 60% of our students identify as students of color once again. At that meeting, we've been very clear about what we need to do to eliminate these achievement gaps focusing on student outcomes. I spoke to you at that meeting about the need for more educators of color in our schools. And let's be clear, research is very clear on this, especially for black students. Findings from both John Hopkins and American University found that black students who had just one black teacher by third grade were 13% more likely to enroll in college. And those that had two were 32% more likely to enroll in college. So that has clearly been a charge for us. For a district um, that is nearly 60% students of color and we have less than 25% of our teachers are teachers of color. That was something we really have to work on. And I'm proud to report back to you, we've been very successful in this charge. We still have a long way to go, there is no doubt about it, but we now have a record number of teachers of color. There are 1,123 teachers of color and 20% of the teachers hired for 2020, 2021 were teachers of color, which is much higher in any year than we've ever had. We also developed our Louisville teacher residency program recently. We graduated our first class that program was developed through the University of Louisville to provide people with a different path towards getting their teacher certification and give them an opportunity to earn um, a wage while being in the classroom and getting their master's degree. 23 out of the 30 graduates of that were teachers of color. And I just I specify those because I brought that to you last September as we were beginning that program. These, this is the intentional work that has to happen around racial equity. And once again, I get concerned that we say we put racial equity and CRT under the same umbrella. 
So I can I can tell you this, we are committed to achieving equity, but we have to challenge and question current practices that have lasted in education for a century or more. And we will not get different outcomes unless we are intentional about changing. And I do want to recognize the educators of JCPS. You know, I don't, uh, I've been so inspired over the past year. I always knew we had great educators, great teachers, great leaders, uh, great classified staff in JCPS, but I've been truly inspired by their work over the past year. I'll share a little bit of that in my second presentation, but I would put our team, our educators up against any large district in America. Once again, the last time I was here, I mentioned I talked about the implementation of Grace James Academy and the Du Bois Academy. And I, I specifically went back and watched it. I wanna recognize Senator Meredith. You know, thank you, Senator Meredith for praising and recognizing that we are doing something different for our students. Um, and I was asked if those academies uh, were, more of those were being planned for students in the future. Um, also want to thank Senator Nemus. He noted that we had an impossible job and we are making possibilities for students. And I want to remind you, this was just last September, September 15th. So our goal in this work all comes back to student achievement. That's what we are focused on. And I think the conversation needs to always stay centered on student outcomes and student achievement and gaps that need to be closed. And that includes an inclusive curriculum. That doesn't mean lifting up any one group of people while putting down another. That's not what we want to do in any classroom in JCPS, but it is about providing the appropriate support for all of our students. And when I came to you in September and talking about how we were addressing racial inequities in JCPS, I'm really proud. I've already provided you with some of the, the HR, the, the hiring decisions we've made and the intentional plans we have but I really wanna update you on some more positive trends in student engagement. Now, don't get me wrong, we have a long way to go in this. There is no doubt about it. I mean, we have taken a couple of steps forward and have many steps to take, and that's why we have to keep our eye on the ball in this work. But these outcomes that I will tell you about, they will, they will uh, provide us with increased uh, student achievement in the years to come. So we shared information about that policy and plan. I also wanna recognize Representative Lisa Wilner. She was one of the board members at JCPS who pushed for this change and obviously approved this as a JCPS board member. But I wanna share with you some of the successes that a focus on racial equity is having. And once again, it's all about student opportunities and student belongings. These trends will produce positive outcomes. So since 2018, when we look back at our numbers of students identified as gifted and talented who were students of color, um, it was embarrassing to look at how we identified our gifted and talented and how few students of color we have. Now imagine how important that is for student success as we move forward. At a very early age, kindergarten through third grade, a student is identified and gifted and talented and not putting barriers in the way, removing those barriers and truly finding those students who identify as, as gifted and talented. So since 2018, we have increased the amounts of students of color who are identif identified as gifted and talented by over 1600 students. At the same time, we increased the overall number of students identified as gifted and talented. 
So this shows that us having an intentional focus on equity for our black students does not mean we are reducing the number of white students who are identified as gifted and talented. We can support all students in this work, but we have to have a focus on racial equity. We've also seen a major increase in the number of students of color enrolled in higher level courses, those high school courses that give a student a qualifying grade for college credit. And the number of students who receive that qualifying grade in those courses has nearly doubled as well. Also, the number of black students enrolled in dual credit classes with colleges or universities also has nearly doubled since 20, between 2018, 19 and today. And so think about that. These are students of color who are getting dual credit, uh, AP course credit to go to college that may not have gotten that same credit three years ago. This is an intentional focus on equity that will reduce and hopefully one day eliminate the achievement gap as long as we don't take our eye off of the ball. You know, another area we are committed to is facilities. And quite candidly, as I probably told you last September, I've been embarrassed with our facilities overall. So I don't want to say it's not all facilities in JCPS, every neighborhood in JCPS, but those specifically in our neighborhoods of color and our high poverty neighborhoods um, have not been addressed in decades. And so first of all, we've corrected the egregious error of having a condemned third floor at the Academy of Shawnee. Since the early 80s, I mean, we had, they had a condemned floor at a school in West Louisville, a high school in West Louisville for nearly 40 years. The district made a decision instead of fixing a condemned floor, let's just close it down. What signal does that say to our students in our highest need communities, but not anymore? And we are shortly within the next four to five weeks, we'll be breaking ground on a brand new school in West Louisville for the first time in two decades. So as a result of our commitment to eliminating the achievement gap, nearly 36% of all capital project dollars over the past five years up to 2022 have been committed to District 1, which is predominantly West Louisville. So we have intentionally focused on, West, on investing in West Louisville and our other high needs communities that have been neglected by JCPS for decades. That is truly a focus on racial equity that will make a difference in outcomes for students. So once again, I'll say opportunities and outcomes. And I will say this again, we are committed to achieving equity by challenging and questioning all of our practices and changing where necessary. That's the work that has to be done in every district in America to eliminate that achievement gap and not just give lip service to it. I wanna commend Dr. Glass and the Kentucky Board of Education for supporting this work as well, because I think the elimination of the achievement gap and giving all students equitable opportunities, um, that is something we must do. It is not just an initiative or, or a program. Um, we must do that if we are going to get equitable outcomes for students. So our racial equity policy calls for definitely culturally responsive instruction and address systems and practices that have marginalized students of color, but really making sure that we are inclusive in our curriculum so all students see themselves in that curriculum. And finally, as I finish up, I do wanna take a moment to share a quote that really moved me late last week. And I think it reflects the sentiment of educators across the country. Once again, I bring up the Council of the Great City Schools, the top 76 school districts by enrollment across America, of which JCPS is one of those. Their outgoing executive director, Michael Casserly, 
sent out a press release for the 76 districts. And it truly moved me. And I would like to share uh, Mr. Casserly's words with the committee. He said, if our history makes some people uncomfortable, then so be it. If people need to be reminded that everyone was born equal and that no one is superior to anyone else, then let's remind them. If some people are surprised to learn that our culture and institutions, including our schools, have advantaged some and disadvantaged others, then it's about time. This is not an unfortunate byproduct. This is the purpose of education. And he went on to say education by definition should equip us with all the facts and all the information we need to form our own opinions and have our students form their own opinions and perspectives. So we want to give our students every opportunity to change the trajectory of their lives. As I said, I've been in this district for 24 years. I've seen JCPS miracles happen on a daily basis, but I've also seen way too many students end up not being successful. And that breaks my heart each and every time I see that. But I do believe we've made significant progress in the terms of racial equity and reducing the achievement gap in JCPS. I believe we've made progress since our meeting in September when we talked to you, even during COVID-19. We have a laser-like focus on improving all student outcomes in JCPS, but we must accelerate those students that are the farthest behind. I wanna say that again. We, we, must have, we must improve outcomes for all students in JCPS, but we must accelerate the learning for students that are farthest behind. And I will say this to this committee, I believe with the support of the Kentucky Department of Education and the Kentucky Board of Education, I think we have the opportunity to be true leaders in this work of eliminating the achievement gap in Jefferson County and the Commonwealth of Kentucky, if we keep our eye on the ball. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Polio, for joining us today. I'm especially grateful to you for being here um, since you're interrupting your vacation to do so. And we aren't needing an expert on CRT today. We want to address uh, JCPS and the curriculum there so you can provide us with the information if CRT is within the curriculum. And it's my understanding that you had um, said that you had scrubbed the uh, theory from uh, the curriculum. There is still a developing black historical consciousness um, class that has the mention of CRT. Will that be removed or is that going to continue to be within the, that elective choice study? So once again, I want to say, as Dr. Glass said, first of all, there was nothing we were trying to hide as we left the notes in there so that everyone could see the notes about any changes we made to the curriculum. First of all, we don't set curriculum. Um, any, any guiding documents we provide to schools are exactly that. They are guiding documents for the teachers to look at the, uh, what the standards are, to have those standards deconstructed and give recommended ways in which they can implement those in that class. So developing black historical consciousness is an elective in JCPS. Um, we have students who are very motivated and inspired by the opportunity to take an elective, which I once again wanna say, that is a student is elect, that and their family are electing to take that class. That is not a class for all students. Um, and so, yes, those recommended guiding documents when they were developed um, did include references to CRT, as you have said. Um, but I think that black historical consciousness class 
was really developed for students to look at ways in which um, these uh, inequities, especially around outcomes across America in many different ways, but especially in education, have happened over the past few years. But we did not want CRT to be uh, a um, something that takes our eye off of the ball on racial equity. So it was removed um, at that time and remains removed from the curriculum. Thank you. And uh, excuse me, just as you said, to clarify, you you do not set the curriculum. So if a, a site-based decision council uh, decides to place a CRT within the curriculum of a school and votes to do so, um, will then your statement be voided for that particular school? Well, once again, you, you are correct that um, a, a school SPDM has the right to set curriculum. We can give guidance um, to that school. And so we have to question, is it also legal for a school board to say as, you can't teach CRT? Is, 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 that an, is that something that is illegal? I think that has to be um, you know, investigated as well what the role of the school board is in, in dictating curriculum. What we can do once again, uh, Madam Chair, I'll say once again, is we can give guidance to our SBDMs, but we cannot set curriculum. Um, and, and although it frustrates me in many ways, when we come to reading programs, math programs, um, it is difficult sometimes from a central office perspective, especially with 155 schools to ensure alignment but this is the statute and this is the law in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and we will follow that. Thank you so much. I just wanted a clarification of your statement about the scrub and then the uh, site-based council decisions. Uh, we do have another question, Representative Rayburn. I have a few questions actually, but thank you for coming um, or being present, um, Superintendent Polio. You know, I went back and reviewed the minutes from your visit on September the 15th and I wanted to ask you, as a part of that slideshow that was presented, you had noted two years ago the Jefferson County Public School Board of Education adopted a racial equity policy and charged the district with implementation. My question is, how do the two, the, the black study course and then also the racial equity, those both occurred at the same time? Can you t explain to me the principles in which the black study course is based on and how that policy and the implementation of the black study course coincide sure i'd be happy to and i think our board in our racial equity policy made it clear that we wanted an inclusive curriculum for students we're in a district where nearly 60 percent of the students uh, identify as students of color and so um, when we looked at our high schools, we had some high schools, and once again, they, they determined the curriculum, but we had some high schools that offered a black history class and some that did not. And so we had schools with a, a majority minority population who were not giving students that same opportunity that others were getting. So we made an intentional focus, our Board of Education made an intentional focus that we wanted to provide equitable opportunities um, across all of our schools and encourage all of our high school SBDMs to adopt this. Um, and this is the course that the historical consciousness was developed around black history. And I will say this, unfortunately, um, in our curriculum historically, this is not just JCPS, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, this is all across America. 
Um, his, history, social studies is about telling the stories of the past and how they have impacted our current reality and our future. Um, and unfortunately, those stories have not been inclusive to include all stories that have impacted our history. And one that hit me recently um, that I just wanted to share, I'm a social studies major. I majored in, in education and social studies. So I took well over 30 hours of social studies in college, most of that being United States history. I did not hear of the Tulsa race riots and massacres of 1921 until about six years ago. And I was a social studies teacher and a social studies major. I believe we owe it to our students to, give, to, to make sure that we give students all the facts about our history and let them determine um, the steps that need to happen moving forward. So black history is that, our black history class, but obviously as we move forward, we wanna ensure that our general social studies, United States history courses also reflect an inclusive curriculum. And I agree with you that history should be taught in our public schools and it should be taught as it happened and students should form their own opinion on those facts. The question that I had had regarding black studies, you know, are we offering that to all races? And also, can you discuss the five principles of that course? Yeah, well, I can't, I can't really get into, I don't have the course in front of me right now, so I, I can't say I can get into all of the principles of the course. You know, we have hundreds and hundreds of courses that we provide guidance on, so I can't specifically, I'd be happy to, to give you more information about that um, as we move forward. I will say this, um, that course is open to all students in our district, and there are many students of many colors uh, who take that course. And I also look forward to my daughter taking that course as a JCPS student when she becomes a junior or a senior. I wanted to thank you for coming today uh, or for appearing today, Superintendent Polio. And I wanted to congratulate you on your focus of, it, of, of focusing on the achievement gaps in your, in your schools. And I particularly wanted to thank you for your assurance that that focus does not stop or decrease the focus on all students' achievement. That is a very important matter to create equal opportunity under the law. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. Again, this was excerpts from the Joint Education Committee hearing that took place in Frankfurt on July 6th. We heard from Dr. Jason Glass, Kentucky Education Commissioner, as well as Dr. Marty Polio, JCPS Superintendent, and some of the questions that were asked by committee members. We will continue with this topic on critical race theory in our public schools on our blog at DearJCPS.com and on our Facebook page, Dear JCPS. Please join us at the JCPS board meeting that will be held on July 27th at 6 p.m. at the Van Hoos Education Center on Newburgh Road off of Highway 264. See you there.